I don't think I can get her to do it. You mean it'll be difficult? Very. Well, this is not mission difficult, Mr. Hunt. It's mission impossible. Difficult should be a walk in the park for you. Maybe you can hum the theme song. Won't hold it against you if you get parts wrong. While the memory's not too strong, there's a piece of you from a time long gone. So while these fuzzy warm feelings remain, question we ask is still the same. Is the treasure or just plain lame? Is this still good? Hello and welcome back to Is This Still Good? The only true fact, the only podcast started during quarantine. I'm a host. Wow. <laughs> I'm so, one of your hosts. So, so wrong. <laughs> uh, it's correct. It's it's a true fact. It's too late to take it back now. I'm one of your hosts, Sage Bilderbeck. And I'm another host, name of Gavin Murray. All these facts are true so far. Keep them coming. Who do we got here today? Uh, I'm your guest for the day, uh, Ulrich Brussel, uh, filmmaker. True fact. Damn. True fact. And uh, we're here to talk about not just one impossible mission, but but two. The first two episodes of the 1968 Mission Impossible ABC series. <laughs> that may not be a yes. true fact. I don't know what network it went on. That's what everybody wants that episode of this podcast. That's what everyone's been waiting for. I did. I thought we were watching Man from Uncle. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> I got all mixed up. This is going to be. I a mess. came out too late for for the podcast. We'll reconvene in four hours. <laughs> um, Ulrich, you have we we're here because you started ranking Mission Impossible movies in yes. a very uh, aggro um, aggro way on your Facebook. <laughs> Was I aggro? Dropping, <laughs> dropping the uh, dueling glove, or however you might. You issued the challenge. I did. Uh, very very stanced manner. The dual glove, um, that is what it's called, Gavin. Sure, yeah. Uh, Gauntlet. Just slapped the entirety of your Facebook friends across the face. Yeah, it's true. Uh, and uh, apparently I'm wrong. Uh, I don't. The one that I think the best isn't the best, if you're to believe popular opinion I mean, on, on my Facebook page. You can't rate six movies and be right. <laughs> <laughs> like, that's impossible. One one of my friends, uh, Alex Kellerman, if he's listening, he agreed with me. So uh, with my list, so that made me very happy. I got I guess one you're person. Right then. So <laughs> yeah, not one quite person. unanimous, but no. Most people seem to think three is the best, which is like very interesting. I mean, I'm definitely um, but, one of those people. Yeah. <laughs> and, and see, I have, like, these movies, except for the first two, entirely blur together in my mind. Oh, my gosh. So that was the real reason that I was like, hey, <laughs> let's talk about the first two. I mean, I um, I agree. I mean, the first two are my least favorite, and they feel like outliers of the franchise, which is very ironic. <laughs> but, like, three through six... I gotta agree with you, Gavin. They feel a little bit more blurred together because they follow a closer template and they have like a more similar style as opposed to these movies that we're talking about today. Yeah. I wholeheartedly agree. That's that's two people. That's what it takes to form a quorum in <laughs> impossible debates. I kind um, of agree. I mean, I, I do think that three through six are closer together than the other two, but... I feel like really four is the one that really sets the standard that, you know, five, six follow, you know, um, four being ghost protocol. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And that like three is like definitely more in that like modern action movie direction and stuff. But I think like it definitely is doing 
a lot of things that are very different than uh, four, five, and six. You know, but you know, not bad necessarily, just different. You know, you heard it here first. Ulrich taking a hard stance. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, what else is new? <laughs> Um, Ul Ulrich, how did, when did you first, do you remember first watching the, the original, the Mission Impossible first two movies? Yeah. Um, I, I think I saw Mission Impossible one in the theater. Pretty sure. Um, and I remember like I was pretty young. I must've been, when did this come out? 94? Is that right? I think it was like 96. I could be 96. Okay. So I was 11. Um, and, uh, I think I really liked the beginning. I really liked the middle and I really liked the end, but the wow. other things in that movie, I don't think I liked very much as a kid. I was kind of bored, you know? Um, well, you're going to have to explain that to me. What else is there than a beginning, middle and an end of a movie? Well, I mean, just like the opening sequence where he's like taking the masks off and stuff and, uh, Right. You okay. know, it's like he's in, they're doing the infiltration scene and then everyone dies, right? And then they have the elevator thing with the uh you know, what's his name? That uh, shit haunts me. Yeah. Shit is Emilio dope. Estevez. Emilio uh, Estevez, yeah. Getting getting like an elevator claw cuz I, I don't understand how elevators work, but I guess they have claws. <laughs> that was very super. He couldn't have just gotten like crushed at the top. <laughs> like there's spikes that come right. out. Yeah. And specifically go right into his face. Horrifying. Yeah. That shit stuck awesome. with me. That's like all I really remembered from the first <laughs> movie cuz that haunted me. Yeah. It's like I remember seeing Jurassic Park when I was too little for it. And that opening with the shooter. Yeah. And <laughs> the like guy getting dragged into the raptor cage. Like oh, yeah. that stays with me more than anything else in that movie. It's just traumatizing yeah. at a young age. Pretty pretty good stuff. Um Yeah, and then the <laughs> middle obviously is the iconic scene, right? Where he's like hanging down over the uh thing and the you know, whatever, lasers and all that. Um right, and right, then the course. last scene is the the you know, helicopter into the train. Uh, insanity. <laughs> yeah, Which... I'd forgotten about all of that. That was amazing. <laughs> I didn't know John Renault was in this movie. I was yeah. so excited when he showed up. Oh yeah, yeah, he's the best. Also, of course, you know, spoilers for everything. Always, uh, you know, these missions right. are all possible, and we're here to talk about it. Right. Yeah, I will prep the audience. <laughs> like, we are talking about Mission Impossible One and Mission Impossible Two today. But, like, realistically, we're talking about six Michelin, Mission Impossibles. Michelin yeah. Impossibles. Michelin, Michelin Impossibles. Impossibles. Yeah. Uh, yeah, spoilers for Jurassic Park. Um, Probably some Fast and Furious movies, if I had to guess. Yeah, maybe some James <laughs> Bonds. Who knows? Definitely maybe. some James Bonds. I, I will say that, like, the, uh, you know, the later movies in these series basically become more like James Bond movies than... Mission Impossible movies, or even more than James Bond movies in some ways, especially uh, five. That's another statement. That I mean, I probably should have saved for later. I mean, that that is something that I really, really find fascinating about both of these franchises. So, Mission Impossible does become a little bit more James Bondy, but James Bond as a franchise, uh, I don't know if either of you have ever listened to the excellent James Bonding podcast by Matt Corley oh, no. and Matt Myra, uh, where they Heard go through happened, but nice, they go nice through every. Up every movie in the franchise multiple times because they've done way more than 24 episodes. And they always talk about how the producers of those movies uh, make it like whatever's popular at the time. Uh, and that's how you right, get a James right. Bond movie set in space just after like Star Wars and Alien come out. And right. that's how you got Skyfall, which is one of my favorite right of the more the recent ones. Night. 
I mean, it's it's quite a bit after The Dark Knight, but it definitely it feels like Christopher Nolan wrote the screenplay. Yeah, my buddy, uh, yeah. if we we're going to shout out more podcasts, uh, Sean nope, that Lynch was it. <laughs> of the Tapeheads podcast. I remember him right before I saw Skyfall being like, yeah, it's fun. It's basically James Bond's Dark Knight. Uh, enjoy. And I had I like watched it for the first time through that lens. And uh, didn't ruin the movie, but it definitely was like, yeah, wow, no, that is, this is blatant. That's funny. <laughs> I guess I never really thought of it that way, but that makes sense. I'm glad that Mission Impossible started taking more cues from James Bond, because Mission Impossible 2 really wants to be the Matrix. <laughs> yeah, it does. Um, although, just to, because I was going to get into some quotes earlier from uh, critiques of Mission Impossible 2, and this was fun, one fun one from... Jay Oberman of The Village Voice. A vaguely absurd thriller filled with elaborately superfluous setups and shamelessly stale James Bond riffs. <laughs> um, just like, yeah, the, the, the alliteration in that review I quite enjoyed. That's pretty funny. <laughs> Sage, did you, when did you get to see, when did Mission Impossible enter your life? Uh, talking, talking about Mission Impossible 1? I definitely watched all these out of order. I remember at either, some either point one, but, yeah. watching Mission Impossible and being not thoroughly impressed by it, but I also didn't think of the whole franchise as like a big bombastic action franchise at this point, because I probably wasn't old enough for my parents to take me to go see Mission Impossible 2 in theaters. I was when Mission Impossible 3 came out. Mission Impossible 3 was the first one of those I saw in theaters, it was the first one of those that I was really excited about, and it remains my favorite, and I'll never know if that's because of when I saw it, or if it's because it's actually the best of them. But 3 just has, that's... like, kinetic energy going through all the way. I know that's what we do with this podcast, but I can't give definite answers. <laughs> Everyone I says mean... kinetic energy when talking about that movie, which isn't untrue, but that doesn't necessarily mean it good. Anyways... We're not talking about Mission Impossible 3 here. We'll talk about other things. Aren't we, though? Although I, I will mention it because I specifically have no memory of the third movie. Uh, like I said, past two, they all blend together, and I don't know what happens <laughs> in any of them. Um, the one that really, like, I'm trying to remember when I saw them. I think I saw one pretty early on, and it didn't really stick with me. Again, aside from Emilio Estevez getting slaughtered. But the second movie, I don't know if I saw it in theaters or if I... A lot of my upbringing is based on like what was on stars for a very specific time when I had that subscription. And I think Mission Impossible 2 was one of those movies that was on stars that I taped because I was worried that at any moment I wouldn't have stars again because I grew up starved from television. <laughs> uh, so I had this collection oh, of like get that stars. <laughs> like I got I had the, the Scorpion King taped off stars. I had well, I had Rush Hour 2 was one of, like, the early DVDs that I owned. But, like, there was, like, this weird collection of very specific, a lot of sequels that were just on stars at the time. And I think Mission Impossible 2 was one of those movies that I watched a lot because it was one of the better things that stars had. And it very much stuck with me. That's funny. The motorcycles, the explosions. Although the gum from the first movie. Let's, like, who, which one of us wants to try and... Give her the best, like, Do three under the seconds. 30 seconds of the clock. Yeah. Wait, so I just, I just want to really quick, uh, I just want to recap. So, Gavin, you first saw Mission Impossible 2 on Stars. I, <laughs> I think saying. so. That sounds, that <laughs> okay. sounds right. 
I wish so I'd understood this. So neither of you guys this. saw any of these other movies in the theater? You you guys I saw missed three through six in the theater. I was like seven okay. when just, one came does out. Three, uh, okay, does three okay, have a okay, title? Living in a town without a theater. <laughs> does three have a title like Ghost Protocol? Or... No. It's MI3. No, it doesn't. I don't even think yeah. it's technically Mission Impossible. Three. Okay. I think it's just MI3. Right. Yeah, yeah. They, they only started with those titles that Ghost Protocol. Which one did Brad Bird direct? Ghost Protocol. Okay, I think that was maybe the first one I saw in the theater. Because mm. I just remember, and, I've been and I quite opening night it. for every single one since. Yeah, I, I very much remember is like, oh shit, Brad Bird, the guy who directed The Incredibles, he's making a Mission Impossible movie. He's dabbling yeah. in live the guy action? who's going to I'm direct there. Tomorrowland. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he actually made a really good Mission Impossible movie yeah. too. I mean, he's um, a great director, and, and I don't think he. <laughs> He doesn't really get enough credit for like really setting that franchise up, you know, for the next two movies or even three movies with the one that they're doing now. Right, because JJ uh, Abrams gets that credit. I mean, I think he's the second. no, no. Chris McQuarrie gets that credit because he because he did. Um, he is the Rogue Justin Nation. Lin of the franchise. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Which is a good thing because I love Justin. He's Lin. He's, he's pretty lovable. <laughs> that guy. I love the trajectory of these movies. Like right from the outset, I love how. They go a completely different different direction with two, and they try to overcorrect with three, and they finally settle on something. I wanted to mention really fast, if you've got, like, a list of movies that you tape from stars, let's just do a podcast about that. Because <laughs> <laughs> Scorpion King and Rush Hour 2 are right up there. Well, no, Rush Hour 2, again, oh, no. was a DVD that I bought with my own money. Uh, it was probably in the bar. I also, a lot of what I watched was based on what was in the Tower Records bargain bin. Because I used to just come home from school, go to Tower Records, buy like a 50-cent VHS or a $4 DVD, and it was as cheap as renting a movie. Maybe the quality wasn't always as high as like, you know, what you might buy on Blu-ray <laughs> at the time. But, uh, you know, I, I saw some good stuff. <laughs> now, for our younger listeners, describe what it means to rent a movie. They're, they're all redboxing. <laughs> you know they're still doing that. It's fine. That's funny. Well, yeah, let's not talk about blockbuster video in the old days of renting movies because that's a that's just a different podcast. We should let's get back on track with Mission Impossible. So, was, Gavin, you're gonna I say was, yeah? The I was gonna second, I was gonna request like a five sentence, like maybe you got thirty seconds. Do the best you can to describe uh, these movies. Ulrich, do you want to take on the first movie? Yeah, Ulrich, I would like uh, an introductory paragraph um, and then like three points that are a paragraph each, and then a, a conclusion paragraph. MLA format, Just please. Do, do what okay, you want. Okay, I'll do my best. <laughs> so, uh, basically, Mission Impossible is a movie about a team of uh, agents who are part of this um, impossible mission force, the IMF, which is the most <laughs> ridiculous name for a team in the world. But they take it very seriously in these movies, which I think is great. But yeah, basically, the whole team gets murdered right away. And then Ethan Hunt gets stranded, and he has to figure out why his team got murdered, who murdered them, and he uses the internet to do so in a very hilarious way. And then uh, eventually he figures out, um, you know, some leads, and then the big reveal at the end, I'm not going to say what that go is. Go ahead, go ahead. And it all comes down... <laughs> why would you not say what to, it is? <laughs> it's his partner from the beginning all along who, like, betrayed everybody for money to make a bunch of money um, by selling this disc to the bad guy. And then it all comes down in a final face-off um, where he kills his old um, mentor and partner uh, in this most ridiculous way possible um, in this helicopter train 
sequence. Um, and then they infiltrate the CIA. Yeah. I just want to specify that, that, like, not only is everyone murdered on his team, but the CIA believes he's behind it and is trying to sell out the knock list of every, uh, spy that they've employed with their real identities. Right. Stakes are high. Right, he's been framed. I, f- I forgot. I forgot to say yeah, that he was framed for the murders too. He's, uh, yeah, he's disavowed. Right, for that reason, I think every movie except two, Ethan Hunt gets disavowed, and the movie is about him proving his innocence from his hiring organization. Yeah, it's a classic uh, thing that happens in these movies. The, the game yeah, disavowed. Yeah. You know, can't happens have in possible. five of them. That was the weirdest <laughs> thing about Mission Impossible Two for me was that he doesn't get disavowed in the movie. He's just doing like, a job. Wait, what? <laughs> yeah, and it takes forever, and it's very, very, very pointless. Wow. Anyways, uh, does anyone, somebody want to take uh, Mission Impossible Two? Um, sure. I'll, 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 I'll try my hand at it. Uh, so the second movie we open, we're in an airplane. A um, scientist is clutching a uh, suitcase or briefcase or satchel of some kind uh, next to Ethan Hunt, who then proceeds to. With a team of people, murder everyone on the plane, grab the satchel, and crash it into a mountain. Uh, second later, Ethan Hunt rips off his own face, revealing that he is some villain that we've never seen before. Then we're with Ethan, the real Ethan Hunt, free soloing in Montana, like, super dangerously, just, like, for fun. A helicopter flies up to him, fires a missile at him, he pulls out some sunglasses, puts them on, and is then fed information through the sunglasses that they need to shut down um, this evil terrorist who is trying to sell a mutated flu that could take out all of humanity if uh, they don't get their hands on it. Um, he's then tasked with bringing, assembling a team, one of which has to be a civilian uh, thief who's a total babe. They hook up after dangerously racing cars, and then he finds out that she needs to has like a past with the evil villain uh she goes undercover they slowly steal back all the information and basically duel with various uh guns knives motorcycles all while he eventually saves the world and the girl by getting back the cure uh which is called Bellerathon and yeah the chimera well, chimera is the disease Bellerathon no, is the, the cure. Oh, the, uh, I would oh argue the name of the cure doesn't <laughs> fucking matter. I, I didn't even know there was a name of the cure. I thought just, there was just the, the disease. Anyways, no, sorry. because in order to create, you know, a, 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 to create a hero, you need a villain, as they keep repeating throughout the movie, which they also kind of act like they, they crack. Yeah, they crack a code with that line, which is just like, no, I mean, it's pretty apparent. He's talking about a virus and a, a cure, but. Yeah, good stuff. John Woo, man. So much slow motion. <laughs> a lot of, lot of doves. So many doves. Like, this is like, I know John Woo's famous for doves, but man, some fantastic use of foul in this movie. <laughs> Too much foul. Too much foul. I'd like to kind of go through each movie and uh, and talk about, like, what really does work and what doesn't so that we can pit against each other at the end. Sure, sure. Sage, since you didn't do any summation, do you want to start with the first movie? So I'm actually going to go back a little bit further because the additional bit of research that I did is I got CBS All Access for a week and immediately canceled it. 
I'll probably watch Picard and Twilight Zone off of it. Uh, and they have Mission Impossible, the series, the 1968 one. Uh, not the 1988 one, which apparently exists. Uh, which has Jim Phelps and his team just going episode to episode doing an impossible mission. Not an impossible Michelin. <laughs> no. And... It's very aggressive in its use of masks, at least the pilot was. Uh, but instead of having like a different actor playing it, they just have the lead in a mask creating just a grotesque human that doesn't exist. And then when they go to that person, it's still him in a mask. Now, in the first movie, I did feel like they were actually using masks for a lot of it. Am I wrong? I don't know. If they did, they did a much better job than the TV series, and that's all I could really <laughs> yeah, put up. They definitely had masks um, in one, and there's a yeah. couple times where they're like doing mask takeoffs, and it works, and then there was one time where he like starts to take the mask off, and then they cut away before he actually takes it off, uh, and I'm betting yeah. that it just didn't work, you know? Like, there was <laughs> some, some sort of like screw-up with the practical effect. They but... accidentally ripped the mask, and they only had like two, and they just ran out of usable ones. But but you get like but you get the idea because you get see the plastic being totally. torn into and you know it's a mask you know so it works but yeah um you could definitely feel like like the commitment to like using actual masks and not just having actors um you know switching yeah. places yeah. and I mean that was also in the first movie like the special effects team has very very high rank like their names are up there early and big which was cool to see like always I love it when like a practical effects team gets good credit in movies because. They do such incredible and specialized work. The reason I start with the series is because this is a passion project from Tom Cruise. It was his first movie as, as part of his production company with uh, Paula Wagner, who's the other producer on this movie. And Tom Cruise, arguably the biggest star in the, in the world right now, can make any movie he wants and he chooses to reboot just a TV series that he liked as a kid. He got on De Palma... Uh, who needed a commercial hit at the time. Uh, and then the movie they make stars a new character and still Jim Phelps. <laughs> when Jim Phelps turns out to be the evil guy at the end, that's a character that some audience had a lot of investment in over two seasons of watching Be the Hero. Wait, so Jim yeah. Phelps was the original IMF guy? Yeah, Ethan Hunt is not yeah. in the original TV series. That's a creative oh, character. Geez. I knew yeah. none of this. And the original plan was to have, like, the entire cast of the original die in the beginning instead of having, like, Emilio Estevez, who, side note, I wonder what that was like in 1996 to go into a movie and have Emilio Estevez, who was a huge star at this point. Not Tom Cruise big, but definitely the second most recognizable person in this movie. Just die horrendously 15 minutes well, in. Well, maybe third. Isn't Voight's pretty big. Is right? he? I, he already I, he had Deliverance years that before. That was thirty and... years earlier. Emilio Estevez like had Young star. Guns had like a big run through the eighties. More recently, I don't think John John Voight to me is always just the guy from Anaconda. <laughs> I <laughs> well... mean, that's a that's a big credit though. <laughs> Wasn't that like his next movie after this or something? Probably, yeah. I think it's it's Voight like right like, ninety seven ninety eight. John Voight anyways. is not at the height of his career. Emilio Estevez is probably just like a couple years after it. Interesting. 
Yeah, I didn't really think of it that way. I just think of like, yeah, everyone knows who John Voight is. It, I don't you know, think then... everyone knows who John Voight is. I think in 96, really? everyone <laughs> did know who Emilio Estevez is. Oh, okay. Well, because the Mighty Estevez... Ducks had come out a couple years earlier. Yeah, he's like the mighty. He's like riding off Mighty Ducks fame at that point, basically. Well, yeah, and but all the all sense. of his eighties. Uvra. Yep, I'm gonna say the Emilio Estevez Uvra. That's the <laughs> podcast this is right now. <laughs> right, right, okay. Uh, yeah. Well, no, I mean, but I, I it's really interesting because I, I remember hearing about this, this whole Jim Phelps thing, and that like him being the bad guy was a, a betrayal for a lot of fans. Um, but I think it's so interesting. It like shakes things up, you know, which I think is great. Um, but I going into the movie, I had never seen the show, and I still have never seen the show. So yeah, yeah, it doesn't really matter to me. What? Yeah, year, I think that's most were those people, shows coming out like, again. Uh, the shows were 1967 and 68, and then I think they did like a small revival in 88. Uh, but I just I just okay. have to imagine what it's like to actually care about that. I'm not putting this as a knock against it. I think it's fantastic. But it'd be like if a Knight Rider came out now and Kit was the villain. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the car just turns into a... What's that Carpenter movie? The, uh, Christine. Christine, yeah. Yeah. I think we <laughs> should have that Knight Rider-Christine mix-up movie. I think that would bring in the big bucks, guys. I, I, I'm down. I'm Let's at a loss. <laughs> 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 all right so Sage, you are going somewhere with your whole nope we're uh, talking about night rider know. now okay no night rider all right so uh, uh you know, i wonder i wonder what it would what it would be like to watch an adaptation of a franchise you love just uh just get everything so wrong but i guess that's probably what you felt like with the last two turtles movies yes exactly <laughs> <laughs> well like i mean so i never watched just if we're gonna if we're gonna stay on tangents, um, I'm a big like I loved The Prisoner, which I don't know if you guys ever watched Secret Agent Man. It was like a non canonical continuation of that character. Oh, interesting. Who gets disavowed and kidnapped and wakes up on an island, which is just like almost Alice in Wonderland weird, but like run by like a secret organization that's trying to get him to spill information. Um. Anyway, that and AMC really, did a remake of that. I've seen that. Which I did not watch, but I, I think it was supposed to be okay. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's, yeah, it's an AMC miniseries. There's something very, very, like, quirky and original about the first one. I definitely first found out about it uh, through The Simpsons when Homer, like, goes to Weird Island and there's a koala that turns to him and then, like, shoots gas <laughs> out of its eyes. Like, stuck uh, with funny. me. And that is, like, ripped right from The Prisoner. They did a great spoof of it. Anyway, yeah. tangent over. Uh, the sure. first movie, where do, we, where do we fall? I love it. <laughs> I don't think All it's right. the greatest of the series or anything, but I think that it's got so many iconic moments. Tom Cruise is in peak Tom Cruise-ness. Uh, and, you know, it's it's really like where they first bring uh, the team together with Ving Rhymes and, you know... It's like the bones of what the series becomes in, I mean, in a lot of ways. You say bring the team together as if these are team movies. <laughs> they are not. It's well, Ethan Hunt I mean, they, sometimes Ving not, Rames like, is there. I mean, he's in every one, but sometimes he's in it for like a minute. And whoever else comes that time around who wanted to come from the earlier ones. I feel like they definitely become more team movies as the, you know, as it goes on. You know, like it, it doesn't start 
It, yeah, you're right. It's definitely the Tom Cruise show for sure. Yeah, but I mean, it's more like, teen movies now with like five and six, but right. I still would not describe these as ensemble movies. No, but yeah, just getting getting the core at least. I guess the one because he's the only one who makes it through all the movies, right? It's just Tom Cruise and Bing Rhymes. There's no one else who hung out from from the first movie. No, some um, people. Uh, no, there's there is a dies. rumor that uh, Henry's. Well, no, not rumor. Actual casting. Kittredge from the first movie is going to be in seven and eight. Henry Sherry. Oh, really? Yeah. That's kind of cool. Actually, where we first meet Kittredge, like, there, like you guys were saying, some amazing set pieces. The bridge is very memorable from the beginning. Like, everything's dark and noir-y, and it's super fun. And watching them, like, just take on a party in the first, which is, like, something that we get very used to in these movies. This heightened, like, this is, when I think of spy movies, I do think of Mission Impossible and the way that they case, like, a rich person party. You know, which happens again in the second movie when we meet uh, Naya as she's, like, going to steal a necklace. And, like, my one of my favorite set pieces from the first movie is actually the aquarium scene. Oh, yeah. So amazing. Tom so Cruise amazing. finds out that the government thinks he's turned rogue. And he proceeds to make everyone in the restaurant as against him. Uh, squeezes the gum that he's gotten from the beginning of the movie that is just, like, a piece that keeps coming up. You touch the... Green to the red? Or blue to right. the red? Green to the red. Yeah. Yeah. Then you got five seconds before it all explodes and like just blowing up a restaurant that is half aquarium. Oh my god, it's so much fun. <laughs> yeah. An incredible, incredible effect and stunt. Yeah. It's, just it's a good amazing. set piece, especially because everything else is just they're sitting down and then an aquarium explodes. And that's really the entirety of the scene and he runs out into the main square at Frog. Uh, this movie, I mean, I think of it less as a Mission Impossible movie, which is which is a strange thing to say, and more of a just uh, De Palma movie. And that's that says more about right. where the franchise went to than where it came from. Because uh, this movie is very heavy on setup and payoff. That scene you're just talking about where he makes everyone, uh, you, they show them from earlier scenes while right. they were yeah. running a mission, other people were watching them. And you see people in the dining hall for the party. You see people on the street. But it was also very weird earlier when it just cut to close-ups of them for no reason. (laughs) That was distracting. There is a lot of style in this movie. Like, this movie's, it feels like it's shot, like, 60% candid angles, too. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Which is very De Palma. Yeah, it's it's really like a filmmaker's dream, like cinematography-wise and storytelling-wise, which is why I like it so much. And when as a kid, when I first saw it, like I didn't really dig on it because I didn't really understand those things. But then watching it later, having like watched a lot of other Brian De Palma movies, you're just like, oh my god, like this thing is incredible. Which, not to jump ahead, but like the second movie is also like John Woo and De Palma are both like. They're actually, I, I hate the term auteur filmmakers, <laughs> right. but like they have such a heavy handprint for, especially for two movies that are part of a franchise, which like franchises oh, yeah. are not known for, you know, feeling the director. What you do is you feel the cast and you feel like the world that they're creating in these movies, which are both there, but like 
man, do you feel the director's hands in both these uh, movies? That is John, true. John Woo, especially. <laughs> My God. Especially <laughs> yeah. if you, when you watch it back to back like we do, you could see like the slow, slow pushes. And I guess they're more zooms, which is weird to see in De Palma's. And then Woo is just basically snap, zoom, snap, zoom <laughs> for like those slow motion, slow, slow motion, slow motion, slow motion, snap, zoom. Yeah. But that sort of choppy slow motion too, where it's just dropped frames. It seems. Right. Yeah. Like it. I. I almost feel like when I'm watching John Woo stuff, I'm always wondering if like he intended for any of this movie being in slow motion, or if he just changes his mind a lot in post. So yeah, <laughs> maybe a little yeah. of both. I mean, it it is crazy to ask what in Mission Impossible John Woo intended because John Woo's cut of this film was three and a half hours long. And oh, the man. studios made him cut it down to two. That's probably why most of Mission Impossible 2 doesn't make any fucking sense. It has giant plot holes that we'll talk about later. I'd forgotten that movie was two hours long. There is so much movie in that movie. And yet they're still just in Australia for most of it. <laughs> but there's so much movie. Um, yeah, I just want to get back to the first movie for, like, we can't yes. not talk about the um, pressure-sensitive uh, temperature, well, I, I've, temperature uh, I've got yeah. some wrap up of like that opening heist sequence. Okay, by all okay. means. Which is one thing that truly bothers me in this movie. Before everything starts going wrong and there's clearly a mole and people start dying, uh, Ethan Hunt and uh, a woman are both trying to get the floppy disk and they have to split up. She follows the man who has the floppy disk until it looks like he is being stabbed through a grate. And at some point, off screen, she just decides to come up, see what's going on, and she manages to yeah. also get stabbed through the grate. And all I can say is that is the worst fucking spy in the world. <laughs> How do you get stabbed through a grate when you are not surprised by it? Well, How are you because, the second person to get stabbed through a gate? Because isn't it John Voight doing the stabbing? So she was like... Well, it's not. It, know, wasn't, it doesn't it matter. John also, you still oh, have to be close enough. Was it? it was it John Renault. John Renault. John Renault, right. John Renault. Yeah, Which is also like a little silly, like, well, how do you get involved in the later things? There's. Well, he gets brought on, brought in by the wife. Yeah, oh, okay. So I missed like that. Part, right, of the, part of the sting or whatever yeah. you want to call it. But it's, it's it's a tangled web they weave. I don't know. I, don't I still think I always that think the actual John blocking Boyd. of that is very, very sloppy. It's it's it's, it's pretty silly. Also, like yeah. the the John Voight, like we can see through his glasses and we just see the hand is very <laughs> it's very silly. Um where, you know, he spoiler alert, pretends to murder himself by pointing a gun into his own face so that his glasses can see the hand. And then he, like, squeezes up a bloody napkin and looks down at his hands and then jumps off a bridge. All while basically laughing maniacally and doing some right. real anaconda acting. <laughs> it's it's pretty great. Yeah, but it's John also Boyd in this movie is not very good. <laughs> I'm just going to say it. I'm also going to say John Boyd in most movies is not very good. But uh, looking up... Uh, looking up a lot of the like missed casting opportunities, I think the casting in this movie is pretty solid aside from Voight. But like, man, they approached like Al Pacino and Robert Redford for this part. Ooh, Either one of them would have been much better. I, it's also a little weird, like the age difference between John Voight and his wife. Right, like, those I actors are twenty five years apart. 
I really kept wondering if that was a plot point or not because I don't think it is. But like, there was it like just a feels weird. More of a love triangle that was cut from the movie. But I feel like you could have just cut the line where they were married and just made them have a thing, and that might have worked better. But it's it's yeah, they could have just been partners. Years. Yeah, yeah. It's it's yeah. it's kind of distracting, and it also makes like. Uh, both of these movies do very weird stuff with like Tom Cruise and like female love interests as like not sex, but like flirtation feels a little forced. And like, that's not to say Tom Cruise isn't a handsome dude, but like, it's just nothing feels right. Yeah. Cause Tom Cruise, it's hard for Tom Cruise to pull off romance in movies. I I I yeah. I'm not going to speak anything of him as a person but as a movie star he's very asexual. Well, I don't know. I mean, I just think that I'm really glad that they didn't make this a thing that they continued throughout the movies that after uh the first 3 they they kind of don't focus on the romances anymore, which is I think smart. <laughs> Cuz that's not what you're here for. No. Know? But the second movie like oozes the uh like the heat up to like 12 it's insane the way that, like, you know, she's on top of him literally within, like, 30 seconds of meeting him. The flirtation is crazy. There's and... so much of Mission Impossible 2 that feels like a perfume commercial. Yeah, it's kind of great. I, I do love it, but it also is very weird. It's such a bizarre movie. I love it. It's so great. <laughs> yeah, and, like, the car scene. I know we're jumping all over the place, but, like, the car scene where... He's like, come on, I need your help. And she's like, oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah let's, let's catch slam me. these amazingly beautiful luxury cars <laughs> against each other on a cliffside until we both almost die so we can yeah. again, like, make out. What is going on? That's <laughs> what I was saying when I was watching that scene. Like, what is happening right now? Yeah. If everyone's crazy. <laughs> if you don't want to, to jump around that much, just just try not to. That's going to be my only <laughs> advice. <laughs> But uh, I, something see, I keep, I, I'm just bringing it up so I can because I want to. But there will there will be time. <laughs> so what? So what is everyone's favorite thing about this first movie? And uh, obviously, it's thing? the hacking. <laughs> <laughs> you know that sort of mid '90s. It handles it better than some of the movies that are actually about hiking, about bleh, hacking. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, the trails they run. Yeah, but he goes on to the World Wide Web. And managed to find some assassin chat room using Bible quotes. I don't know. I've seen this movie three or four times now, and I'm not sure what happened during that or why it took as long as it did. Yeah, I have no idea how he came up with that. Like, where did that come from? It was just like a a thing. Well, there's a there's a there's there's a specific montage of after he looks up the Job name in the Bible, he starts emailing random email addresses. And it works. Yeah, so yeah this crazy. is the part of the movie that he I just, just don't like. Get lucky. Yeah. There are like individual parts of yeah. like some of the bigger scenes and set pieces, and I'm like, well, that's dumb and it doesn't work. But this is like a whole sequence that I like. This this doesn't work. Clearly, the movie really needed to just introduce Ving Rhames earlier, yes. so he could be the one behind the that computer because be it better. just works. Because I again, I did not remember that John Renault and Ving Rhames were in these movies. Oh yes. So I was so excited when both of them showed up because I love them both. And Ving Rhames oh, is yeah. great in this movie. He has not a lot to do, but man, he knocks it out of the park. And like when um 
basically Tom Cruise, because John Renault tries to turn on them kind of early with like a, I want to be, he, after they've acquired the disc, he threatens, uh, he threatens Tom Cruise with, um, he just like, I'm not going to give this disc back unless you let me be at the meeting. And Tom Cruise pulls out another floppy disc and like, what, you think I'd let you have the real disc? And Jean Renault gets mad, throws it in a trash can and storms out. Tom Cruise goes, picks up the disc from the trash can, hangs it to Vin Rams and says, like, I trust you. And Vin Rams is like, why do you trust me? He's like, because I knew you wouldn't have done this job unless if I told you what it was. Because it'd be racist not <laughs> it's like, to. well, <laughs> that short turn, <laughs> how short-sighted Ving Rams is makes him very trustworthy. But, like, you know, when he's just, like, even though he's disavowed, he actually just cares about humanity and the spies and the good people who make the world a safer place. Although he bit. does enjoy being disreputable. <laughs> that is my favorite line yeah, from the movie. I just, he's so great. Um, and Jean Renault as like the most evil and like kind of bad at being a spy comparatively where like, you know, he's in the air vents. It's like not being hoisting. very professional. <laughs> Um, hoisting, uh, Ethan Hunt over in, in the, uh, I don't know, the, 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 right. the CIA right. knock list vent weird, like yes. cave thing. That's this to- whole sequence. Cause it's still a highlight <laughs> oh, yeah. of the entire franchise, <laughs> even though everything has moved up. Like yeah. there are other heists in later movies that are so much more extravagant, but like the simplicity and the complication of this is just this magical. Is, yeah, I would. Simplicity is not a term I would use for stealing this knock list. It's from still they're just going into one room Langley, in one Virginia. Building. But True. it's like the most difficult room. So, but that room, room. <laughs> yeah. So, oh yeah. First of all, first of all, the room. If if they detect a sound above a whisper, an alarm goes off. The floor is pressure sensitive. If a simple drop of coffee touches it, condensation from a coffee cup, they'll set off the alarm. If the temperature in the building in the room rises above seventy-two point eight, an alarm will go off yeah, and the mission's degree. over. Now, this mission may so, sound impossible. But what's the only way in? Team like <laughs> we got to come in through the ceiling with lasers. Now, if you touch a laser, it's the mission's over. And it's if impossible. that's not enough, there are dogs outside of the room that will smell your fear. <laughs> <laughs> and we're and gonna pump enough, rats into the vents just in case. Into the vents, just because we know Jean Reno doesn't like those. Yeah, he's gonna uh, fuck <laughs> it all up because he doesn't. You know, in my in my head, the rat like bites Jean Reno and reacts. No, he just tried to kill the rat early. <laughs> what a dick! He, no, not tried. He did just kill he the did. rat. He lets go of <laughs> Ethan Hunt, possibly like ruining the entire mission to just smack a rat with his bare hands. And then the poor the poor vomiting uh, guy is yeah. just trying to do his job. And now, now he's stuck in a in an outpost in yeah. Russia or Siberia. There's a trope. Uh, it, he's in Alaska. First off, <laughs> the CIA didn't send him to an outpost in Siberia. <laughs> that would be insane. <laughs> Same thing. Um, so they infiltrate as firemen, um, and this right. is also something yeah, that yeah. happened to the pilots. And that's how they get in. And you've got your hacker outside. But then the other person, the, the lady, the wife, is already in the CIA building. And that just, you know, that just happens off screen. It's like, oh, she just she just works there. <laughs> she got in. <laughs> that happens yeah. in every heist film. Someone's already there. You know, you're in a bank heist in a week and someone has already gotten a job as a teller. 
or in Mission Impossible 2, one of the team is is the pilot of the plane. <laughs> right, right. But that's... Yeah, I think they... I well, accept they find, it, but it's very they, dumb. Well, in that one, they do explain it, though. Like, they have mer- they find the pilot shoved into baggage on a different flight. So, like, um, I don't know how no one recognized that he was a different guy. That guy wasn't wearing a mask in that movie. Yeah. Well, I... I wanted to say one more thing about the, uh, you know, CIA infiltration scene. Yeah. The it's just, uh, I think it works because of the timing and the editing and the way that they really just cut between all the different takes and everything that happens. It's like, it's like one thing they get by and there's another thing and then it's another thing. It's just really, really good. Yeah. No, you really do feel it's peaked upon. You feel like every challenge very specifically. And, like, the acrobatics that Ethan Hunt has to go through, like, are so smooth. Cause the, and this is also the scene that's probably most parodied in these movies, except for maybe how every mission is got Or every every time they get a mission, it's, should you choose to accept it? This tape will self-destruct in five seconds. Which, again, to jump ahead, when he puts on the glasses and then takes off the glasses, chuckles to himself, and then throws the glasses and they explode right in front of him. <laughs> oh, my heart. It's so beautiful. Um Sure. But yeah, the the lasers and like having to type while hanging upside down, it's so silly and somehow works so gracefully in the hands of the team behind this movie. Yeah, the the team does not treat it as silly. Um, The shot that sticks out to me is just uh, as the team is talking about all the things that they're going to do. Uh, and they're they're telling all the um, all the guards in the room, and there's a pressure plated floor, and it's just a wide shot of the room that like slowly slowly pushes into a cough cup, yeah, cup that yeah. Uh, like drips over and splashes on the floor, and everything pops off. And that shot is some of the shots in this movie are so long. I love it. Yeah, they really take their... How long... What's the runtime of the first movie? Do you, do you have it offhand? Uh, I can look it up pretty fast, but please keep talking. I, like, again, I'm I'm amazed that... I First of all, I'm amazed that John Woo planned for a three-hour cut of the second movie. 110 minutes. <laughs> 110 minutes. Okay, yeah. so just shy of two hours. Yeah. It's a tight 100. The second movie, I, I, will, I will give that, like... It has maybe a couple too many set pieces. Like... When they're in, back outside in Australia after the virus showdown, because that is so well done. There's so much glass to break. There's so many people firing guns, and he gets to exit by blowing up a wall and just base jumping. Uh, it's so heightened and fun that like, how do you how do you try and top that? You have to do motorcycle jousting. You have to do. Um, just ridiculous chase scenes with, you know, looking into your rearview mirror while firing over your shoulder to like try and hit gas tanks to blow shit up. Uh, it's a lot, and it feels like maybe they could have lost a set piece. But um, I also read that like the second movie was written around set pieces, which I'm not sure if the first movie it kind of was. Probably... I mean, like they've got yeah. both these movies have really strong pedigree in the writing, like. W- would you be surprised if I told you that uh, Mission Impossible was written by the same person that wrote Chinatown? I would be. 
But is, oh, yeah. is that true? Are you, are you no, telling no, me that? That's, that's true. It was Robert Town and Dave, <laughs> David Kep. But De Palma was kind of working backwards from those like action sequences, which seems yeah. crazy because like in my mind, there's there's one action sequence in Mission Impossible. There are two heists, but there's one action sequence, and that's where we are now on the top of the train after oh, some God, more heisty man. train stuff. Yeah, that was. And some, so great. some solid mask work. And again, I had so little memory of this movie that I 100%. So to catch the audience up in case you've forgotten, John Voight is trying to escape from uh, this moving train. He's being chased atop the, atop the, plane, the train by Ethan Hunt, who is just freehanding while the villain has like suction, super powerful suction cups that are letting him walk across the train or crawl across the train. Uh, John Renault comes in in a helicopter, lowers a cable for him to attach himself. Tom Cruise releases his hands from the train, flies backwards, ca- tackling uh, John Voight and chaining the helicopter to the train as they approach a tunnel. John Renault can't pull up and is forced to take this helicopter into the tunnel with the train. I expected him to blow up. That would have been fine with me. Um... But no, the, the no. Tom Cruise doesn't settle no, for, that only for blowing up a helicopter. Come on. To, Things don't explode <laughs> until the next minute. No, well, they, they do explode, but only when you bring it back full circle to the, the prop that was introduced at the beginning of the right. movie in a very ridiculous, very perfect moment that is, like, insane. Red or blue <laughs> meets green. crazy. Yeah. It's like he's on this helicopter, and his thought is to blow it up so it can, he can jump from the helicopter to the moving train. It's like, oh my goodness. Yeah. It's great. It's <laughs> all a plan. I, I also just, I love how sadistic Jean Renault gets to be in this movie too, where he's like, should be fearing for his life and having to fly right. a helicopter through a tunnel that is far too small for it. But he's like, hmm, you know, this is a pretty good time for me to try and chop off Ethan Hunt's head it's, with the rotors so of crazy. this helicopter. And then for another train to, <laughs> to, to pass at the same time you too. You use what you got. It's like that. Like, how could the, it's like, right. it just blows the mind. Like, how could you think the helicopter would fit in the tunnel? And then how do you think it could fit in the tunnel with another train passing by at the same time? It's like, that's just not humanly possible. But. And this whole sequence is like CGI heavy green screen 1996. It looks pretty great. It looks pretty good. Like, yeah, there yeah, are moments nothing... where I'm like, no, but I mean. All in all, pretty great. Honestly, the only two things that like look really silly to me in this first movie are speaking of how well the editing goes for that um, the Langley heist, uh, the bead of sweat dripping down his glasses, and then just cutting to his hand catching the the the, the sweat drop is very silly to me. That doesn't quite work. <laughs> and then yeah, and also, also like you wouldn't understand how he's using his hands out for balance. So, right. Like the yeah. hand no, cuts it feels, there. It feels the wrong. Geography it's, of it's wrong. Yes. That's the only part of this movie that feels like it doesn't look right to me. Uh, yeah, like, and then maybe suck it back into his eye somehow. <laughs> <laughs> and then also maybe John Voight shooting himself uh, point of view. The point of view stuff of this movie, I'm, I'm always like thrown off a little bit whenever we get point of view stuff. And the, the first movie has quite a bit of it at the beginning. It does. And it Most makes of it's sense. an actual camera perspective. Right. It's exactly. Charring. But also like, and also the way that, um, what's his name? Emilio Estevez's point of view seems to be rising and lowering in his first sequence, which rang false to me. 
Like, it's just like, is he slow motionly just standing up to look at things? Or, like, that's not the elevator moving. Um, anyway, <laughs> off topic. Yeah, that's <laughs> uh, one, one other thing I want to rask up, wrap up uh, the first movie with some mask talk. Uh, which is like there are two moments where Tom Cruise is in like a fake person's by a fake person I mean not another character in the movie it's not John Voight playing Tom Cruise playing John Voight in the opening sequence where they've basically framed the guy for murdering a prostitute and are getting information out of it he just has the worst mask on that I've seen except for possibly his old Southern Senator mask later in the movie. <laughs> right. Like, dead 15 minutes later. So I think there's a whole variance of, like, the mask when it's, like, when they are literally another person, it works pretty well, but when it's a made-up disguise, ooh-wee, it's silly. Then I, I, I commend I, them I for trying. You know? I, I definitely like that they, they did that and yeah. they with practical real masks that someone made that he was actually wearing in the scene. It's pretty cool. There's something really charming about them that, like, the second movie, I feel like, loses a little bit. Like, it still works really, really well. And, like, the addition of the voice-changing things just feels like it's a sequel. So now they can do voices. (laughs) But um, I really, I really like it. I just as much. Yeah, no, I mean, again, these movies, you had, you had to, you had to put a helicopter in a, in a, in a, um, tunnel so that the second movie could have a helicopter that flies that that's seamless right that was that was a good good speech i have no idea what the fuck you just said yeah, <laughs> I, I think, I think yeah sure a, done tom cruise had fly. to crawl across a plane so tom cruise could jump off a building i don't know yes so are we gonna talk about the second movie before we rate the first yeah. movie and rate them both okay okay well two so it starts off on the plane from Sydney to question mark. Where is that plane going? How do they crash in the fucking Rockies? Because <laughs> there has never been a plane from Sydney to past LA. <laughs> Are they flying to New York? That's not a flight that exists. I don't think they're flying from Sydney. What? Yeah, they are. Okay. That's that's said many times in the movie. Like, he picked him up from Sydney to America. Uh-huh. And they crash in the Rockies somehow. <laughs> There's no situation where that would happen. And that happens, I'm sorry, but this is like just minutes into the movie. Yeah. And it kind of sets the tone for how how little this movie is really going to care about its its plot. I yeah, mean, I, I mean, think it's the a plot, small note, you know. The plot but, totally uh, makes yeah. sense, even if the geography doesn't. I mean, I have dozens of moments like that through this film. I just wanted to highlight the one that pisses me off the most as the resident map guy. Yeah, none of it bothers me. Like, the only thing that's maybe questionable is the fact that the pilot's not wearing a mask. That's the only thing that's weird about this scene. Uh, everything else is great. Got to replace a pilot. I mean, he also knows how to fly the plane. And not only that, keep in mind, him flying in the Rockies from Sydney means he's been on that plane for 15 hours and nothing has, nothing has triggered the other, the co-pilots. Well, they're following the plan. You know, that's like. The co-pilot isn't. In on the plan, right? But like the plan. I mean, they're he's flying along the route. They know that the route goes across the Rockies. Duh. So you know that they pick the right time to make it look like an accident. Uh, they gas everybody through uh, having snuck like knockout gas into the um, the oxygen masks, drop them down, and uh, knock everybody out. Take their time. Uh, 
set the autopilot to crash into the Rockies and jump See, out of the plane. I think you guys are focusing on the wrong problems here because this is not really the biggest problem with this movie. I don't think it's a it's problem at the all. Fact, I think it's great. Like a lot of the problems in this movie are just highlighted in this first scene, and that's why I'm using it to describe it. Because also, like, why is this the plan to capture the guy except to be aggressively evil? <laughs> like, there's so many better and safer ways to do this that don't involve murdering 200 people on a plane. <laughs> See, now you're just attacking the Mission Impossible series as a whole, basically. No, because this is like a small thing that's evil for the sake of evil, and everything else has like a greater purpose behind it. I think the thing that you take away from the scene is that someone was pretending to be Ethan Hunt to do a bad thing, and then it's the bad guy, and that's a big reveal, and that's what's so cool about it, you know? That's what's cool about the scene. All this other shit doesn't matter. Yeah. Who cares where they're coming from? Who cares where they're going? Who cares why they crashed the Rockies. All that shit is completely unimportant. <laughs> I mean, this is the momentum for the It is not unimportant. Right. No, the movie starts with a bang and yeah. just keeps going. It's <laughs> fucking great. Because uh, they jump, they, you know, and now like, no one knows who or where they took the Chimera disease, which it turns out they don't actually have. Which uh, Tom Cruise has to figure out through piecing together the man's last message. To Dimitri. Well, where do where do we find Tom Cruise at the beginning of this movie? <laughs> On the side of a cliff. <laughs> As stated, free solo. <laughs> to the worst song they could have possibly chosen to start this movie off, and it's so dated, and it drives me crazy, and I can barely <laughs> watch the scene because of the song. That's what you should be focusing on. Which, oh my god, which song do they use in this? It's just terrible. Oh, it's so bad. I have to look it up what the name is. Clearly really stuck it's, with you. It's just it a weird a choice. choice. Um, yeah, I mean, a lot of the music in this is pretty funny. So he's actually he's actually climbing, even though John Woo didn't want to. Like Tom Cruise is still like at the point where he is doing you know ninety five percent of his own stunts. He actually wasn't doing that early in his career, and then at some point decided, "Was like, no, I want to be the stunts guy." And you know, this doesn't really pick up until like three or four, where the stunts get so insane that everyone like notices that, oh, like, holy shit, he's actually. I on mean, the side of the Burj Dubai. That He's being said, that this free soloing oh, yeah. is pretty fucking insane. Yeah, um, I mean, he I, is he I is get, wired in. I get that he had, yeah, exactly. Yeah. But it's still like, I mean, he did hurt oh. himself pretty bad doing this scene. I just feel like if this scene had been a Mission to Possible Six, Top Cruise would have just refused to wear any sort of wire. Ensuring <laughs> <laughs> these movies oh, yeah. has to be fucking insane. Like, I I can't imagine like if he wasn't producing it, there's no way he'd be doing these. But you know, he's. For again, like a move, these first two movies have auteur directors, but like this is Tom Cruise's series and he's an auteur producer, so, I guess. I don't, I don't know. So the, again, the song is word, Ico but. Ico by Zap Mama. And Ico Ico is like a really famous song. Um, but, uh, I love all those words. yeah, this is like the worst version of it they could have chosen. And I don't think it fits at all. It's just the wrong <laughs> tone. It's the wrong everything. Yeah, but it's played so quietly. Is it the you know? wrong tone when they get the message to him in this movie by a helicopter showing up and shooting out a rocket that See, reveals? I like a that pair more than the song. <laughs> way, perfect. way, way more. It's so fucking good. I love this movie. Yeah, and the way he's so casually like, "You've got five seconds before this message explodes." Takes them off, chuckles, <laughs> and then so throws at the them screen, and they blow up. 
Go that titles. That right there is the biggest thing that separates this movie from the first one or any one of the laters is Tom Cruise does a lot of weird chuckles and smiles about <laughs> like the situation he's in. Through this entire movie, he does that through all the flirting. He does that through like most of the action sequences. And I got to say, I feel... This is going to be the most ridiculous thing I say on this entire podcast. I feel like Tom Cruise is miscast in Mission Impossible 2. Or, or misdirected wow. is probably a better way to put it. Or not directed at all. I mean, it's a combination. Or something. But... I don't know. I mean, it it does feel... The, to- the, the tone of this movie is my biggest problem. It's so tonally weird and off, and the pacing is all wrong. Scenes don't have purposes. They go on forever. It's what's going on. Why do I care? It's like that's half the movie until you get to like the the action sequences. And then you're like, oh, okay, these are fun. But even those are sometimes too long. And sometimes th- that was what shocked me the most. Ethan Hunt's back. He's like buffed <laughs> up. He's got longer hair. He's got cool sunglasses. These movies change every single movie between short and long hair. I don't know if you've noticed, but in four, he has long hair again. I think in six, he's got like medium length hair, mm-hmm. but it just, it just switches. Probably nothing to read into that. <laughs> it's like the Star right, Trek's so, where like, you know, every other movie's good. And this one, it's like every other movie, he's got a great haircut and two. It's exactly like Starting that. it off with that good haircut. Um, so one thing I wanted to ask that I should have done in the first movie. Do you guys like the Mission Impossible credits? The opening credits? Because I fucking hate it. <laughs> it was a leading question. Yeah, I mean, yeah, nothing wrong with them. Where they show fine. you scenes from the rest of the movie, you don't think there's anything wrong with that? Oh, I don't pick that? up on that, I guess. I don't know. You didn't... There's There's been six of these, and you haven't noticed, hey, those are scenes from later in the movie, and sometimes pop points, and it well, just feels again, like, remember... Especially my... if you watch this on DVD, where... That's what they do at the beginning of at the, at the DVD okay, menu. Okay, DVD anyway, menus are d- DVD one. menus who do, that do that are are terrible. I 100 percent agree. Yeah, that's that what is... each one of these movies do, and I hate it, especially when you're at five or six. It's like I would be okay with you showing us scenes from earlier. Wait, they movies, they do that, especially and, six. Am I just like not paying attention? Like, show that us scenes from in all these movies. <laughs> yeah, see, I I don't feel that either. I, I holy shit, you guys! I'm not yes, they show you it. scenes None from later. Yeah, maybe maybe I'm just so into it I don't even know. Which is a thing that is a trope from the TV show. Yeah, no, I, I am just shocked like, you guys didn't know this. I, I just start bubbing my so head much. because it's... the theme is so great that I'm just like fucking feeling it, you know? Yeah, dun, you into dun, that uh, Limp Bizkit remix dun. there? You know, surprising, surprisingly works. I, you know, I'm not a Limp Bizkit fan, but like they do okay. Well, as a band, they're great. Fred Durst doesn't say anything in this movie, and that's why it works. But the song itself <laughs> is terrible. <laughs> Every Limp Bizkit song is a pretty good instrumental. <laughs> Um, all right, so Anthony Hopkins shows up, collects his paycheck, and then he goes spin. <laughs> yeah. Ah, oh, man, this movie, it's just so much fun. Like, the set pieces He's are so, so the, good. Everything that happens in Spain, I am into. I was texting Ulrich while watching this, like, this movie isn't as bad as I remember. And then I stopped texting you when we got to Australia, <laughs> because it stops being just, just fun and good, which I think everything in Spain is. I think the, uh, the... Boy meets girl, meet meet cute, where the flamenca's dancing all around, yeah. so stylish and cool. Tub. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's so John Woo, like snap zoom, well, slow motion. Flamenca's great. Even before that, like right after the credits, I feel like we're dropped into just John Woo being John Woo, where we've got like kids playing in slow motion. The image is desaturated for no reason. The music is amped up, and uh, it's like. Just he wants to do crowd scenes where people walk like with purpose throughout this entire film. It's like what he cares about almost more than the martial arts and the you know explosions. 
It's so silly and fun. Because the movie ends with it, too. It's just people walking through crowds in slow motion while smiling. It's great. Yeah, that's just as John Woo <laughs> as people running through doves. Right. Which, again, like, I can't, like... I know he does doves in, like, a lot of his movies. It's so great when, Nothing like... Nothing bad to say about that. The doves fly, like, setting off the guard, and then he just gets pummeled. And then, like, there's a giant explosion, more doves, and then Tom Cruise walks by and, like, basically just winks at the villain in slow motion. Can, can oh, you guys tell me sing. why the uh, horse race scene is so long, or whatever that is, and why it matters? Because I feel like that scene just goes on forever, and it has no point. And I'm like, what the fuck's going on here? It's it's an exposition dump. It's a tense crowd scene where right. you walk through with purpose. <laughs> exactly. It's an exposition dump oh with God. John Woo style. So like, pointless and stupid. Especially because the plot is so simple. Like, you don't need an exposition dump at a horse. It's track. also just leading up to that. Because this is the moment where the villain knows. Like, you know, we go from the left pocket to the right pocket. And, like, they really hammer that home. And it works for me. Like when the next it scene they, they cut and the guy's like, uh, you got that, you got that flop, you got that, uh, you got that CF card that we need. And he's like, yeah, check my jacket. Right pocket. It's like, dun, dun, dun. It- <laughs> so the reason Tandy Newton is in this film, uh, through, through the, through its own narrative, uh, is because she used to date the villain. But I'm assuming when she realized he was capable of murdering a plate of 200 people, she wasn't as interested. That's kind of, Kind of my understanding. Even though she claims she doesn't have a conscience. Tom Cruise has to recruit her through flirting and needlessly dangerous car racing. <laughs> I love that sequence. So fucking it's so fun. much fun. Anthony Hopkins is like, why do you do you have a problem with this? There's that very terrible. This is Mission Impossible. Mission Difficult should be a walk in the park. <laughs> like this is my least favorite Anthony Hopkins performance. And I think it's just the lines he has to say in this at one point. Ethan Hunt expresses concern with basically making someone sleep with their ex-boyfriends. That is what his role in this is. Right. And Anthony Hopkins says, let's see if I can get this right. Uh, well, she's a woman, isn't she? Yeah. <laughs> to to not, take a man to bed and, and lie to him? Definitely not a, not a shining moment, moment for this movie. Yeah, Def, definitely. There's a couple moments in this movie where you're just like, holy shit, does this movie hate women? You could definitely cut out. Uh, Anthony Hopkins' whole part of this movie, basically, and the movie would be fine. Uh, like, uh, very yeah. little exposition actually coming from him, and he's not doing much. If it was three and a half hours long, I wonder if they did cut off, like, a lot of... That probably makes sense. So here are the two things that make Mission Impossible 2 as fractured as it is. The first is that somehow there's a three and a half hour cut that got pushed down into two. Hashtag release the Wuka. That makes sense. It didn't release the Wuka. Oh my god. And the second is that this movie got pushed back like a year and a half because of a little movie called Do you want to guess? Uh no. You do not want to guess that <laughs> I just made awkward podcast sounds. Eyes wide shut. Oh, okay. Uh he was off filming that movie and that movie went like a year longer because Kubrick's Cause Ku- insane. Kubrick's person. a Kubrick, yeah. Mm-hmm. Kubrick and a Kubrick. He just Kubricked all over the place. Kubrick and a Kubrick. Um and that just I don't know. So I always have that in the back of my mind watching anything anything any part of this movie. Just would this <laughs> if make it was sense? made a year earlier. <laughs> Maybe. Yeah, honestly, like so much production through it. Just, I mean, it's the same sort of thing. 
uh, Justice League and all those reshoots. Um, I don't think there's a good movie in there anywhere, no matter what well, Snyder plans we'll see. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I think, you know, not being able to uh, shave Superman's mustache didn't <laughs> help. It's not the biggest problem, but it's also a thing they just couldn't do, and, like, you notice. And if you didn't know about Mustache Gate while watching it, there is a part of you that's going, like, what's wrong with Henry Cavill's yeah. face right now? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm still going to say, like, hashtag release the woo cut. Let's get this going. I think going. that would be the biggest waste of time yep. ever. <laughs> I mean, we're getting a Justice League recut. Like, uh, yeah, I think this is less of a waste of time Justice than, than Snyder's cut of Justice League. And I want to see. There's no way it's better. Two there's no and a half hour world cut. where Joss. I definitely think there's a world where he made it worse. worse. I mean, how much worse though? That's the question. Oh, do you believe do. in alternate worlds? <laughs> Obviously. <laughs> oh, okay. Uh, right. I want to. I want to go yeah. to one of those. Anyway. The audience by now knows where we stand. Sounds like uh, you guys love it, and I hate so it. So, <laughs> what else? What else? Do, what else do we want to see? Well, come on, we have to talk about the movie. best thing like, about this movie. Well, so I love the tenseness of the um, the racetrack scene. Is like so much uh, fun for how little they do. Like it's just uh, shot so crazy, and like you know, the I, everyone's I just, just staring at each other through it. like binoculars. It's so silly and <laughs> I fun. Can't stand that scene. And I'm with Ulrich on a lot of this. There's about like 30 to 40 minutes of this movie that just come and go and I can't remember what happened and I don't care. And there's nothing super exciting and there's nothing incredibly well done. And I mean, to highlight that, uh, so Ving Rhames and another person <laughs> show up. And I have never cared less about anyone in any movie than the random Australian guy that's a part of this IMF team. Oh, and that includes right. Doug Gray Scott, who was in this movie, and is maybe the least charismatic I've ever Who's seen. Who's the bad guy? Who's movie. that? Who's Doug Gray Scott? He's the villain. Is he the guy who with the finger cut off? No, the main bad guy. Oh, okay. Yeah, he, I mean, he, I, I like him. It I think his second command is so much more fun. Uh, I oh, love yeah. that. No, guy. the entire team, like uh, Ethan from Lost, like, the entire team <laughs> is better from than Lost. him. I don't, I don't know. Who Sh- that. I don't Shout know out. his name. He's Ethan Shout from out. Lost. Shout out to Ethan from Lost. <laughs> Who's that? He's the other the one. Guy. Mission Impossible thing that works yeah. backwards. Okay. He's uh, he's Ethan. Also, he, just like, like the way he's that one of the others, <laughs> but he pretends to be a part of the crew. It is like you're not on the manifest, and then uh, and then he Ethan's yeah, it up. The slow mo, the slow mo scarf grab, and like just the villain's lair, like that luxury uh, island getaway. Oh, that's great! It's so great. <laughs> that is a good moment. Yeah. Which also just it felt like those flamenca flapping around. It just like he just grabs it, and it's. Uh, that's pretty much the only thing that happens yeah, the, between when they get to Australia and they storm a uh, biosite that I give a shit about. The biosite thing is so much fun. And like the way the villain has him just like some fun mask paired down to like the second. Like he just knows his plan, but there's still like just he's running an equally impossible villainous mission. Um, <laughs> and the dude is like, I mean, to 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 your point earlier, Sage, like. Not only does this does the villain not care about wasting civilian life, he's actively seeking it out. The guy is like a complete psychopath. He slices off his second in command's finger for like not understanding that the dude's horny and like that that's something that's going to be a drive for him as well. <laughs> he's just like, well, that works for me. Yeah, he's like, I don't, I don't trust her. He's like, I don't trust her either. But like, have you seen her? <laughs> Um, and I'm going to prove, like, make my point by slicing off your finger. 
And, you know, fuck it. Like, let's not only are we going to change the game later on, I'm just going to infect all of Australia with this deadly virus while hostily taking over the company that's going to mass produce the vaccine. People are going to die and I'm going to make billions Lots of money. I liked that. I liked that twist. Like the plot of this movie, I don't have a problem with. Doug Ray Scott's just terrible. Did you guys know Doug Ray Scott? If this movie didn't go like a yeah. year over length, would have been Wolverine. Yeah, I did hear this. Hugh Jackman. I'm so glad that it didn't happen. That yeah, be... I like that this guy more terrible. than Hugh Jackman. Uh, really, for what? this role. Yeah, he's. Oh. I like him. I think he's great. You want you Are want you, you want a Doug Ray Scott Wolverine? <laughs> for, for oh all wait, the he was going to be Wolverine. Yeah, he was interesting. Be Wolverine okay, instead I, of I Hugh mean, Jackman. Which I'm ugh. I'm not. A, Are we saying the same thing? I feel like we've been talking over what seems like an insane statement from Gavin. <laughs> I'm, so I'm not a fan that. of the X Men movies in general. So. That's fine. But <laughs> Hugh Jackman as Wolverine's pretty fucking. Great. I'm not a fan of the X Men as characters in general. Yeah, see, still not what I'm saying. <laughs> Uh, are you saying that you would have preferred this actor from this movie to be Wolverine? That that would have made any of those movies better? No, I, I'm not saying that. I thought you were saying Hugh Jackman was going to be the villain in this movie. And I was just like, eh, I don't think that would make I'm this pretty better. pretty ambivalent about yeah. that. No, I, yeah, I don't necessarily think that would make this movie better. I, li- no. I like this I guy the other way around. I think he's super fun. Um, I don't. I also want to like throw out like the we- the like the kidnapping of the evil CEO <laughs> is so much fun by Ethan Hunt where it is very like fun. you know he's locked in the limousine and they like basically Marley's ghost him from uh the Christmas uh Christmas carol movies and confront him with his old um research scientist who's murdered in the beginning of the movie to get him to spill his guts. Oh, yeah. Very, con- very conveniently say his name in a calm manner, <laughs> with, which is what they use to get past a vocal uh, passcode later. Yeah, that's good, probably one of the better thing They scenes. managed to scan that mask and uh, get his vocal patterns somehow. Yeah. I, yeah. I mean, uh, but I will actually give all of this mask work a pass because it's some fun stuff, especially it's cutting back and forth between that and Doug Ray Scott pretending to be yeah. uh, Tom Cruise. I really enjoyed that. Yeah, Just to really confirm, really make sure that his like ex is a mole and like confirms it. And the, the way that they dole out that information in this movie, I think is very clean. You know, again, yeah, the breast pocket, just in- the, the confirmation, like the knowing that like from early on that whole conversation is to know, is to like to point out that you know this villain is not dumb. He does not trust this woman, but he. But have you seen her? Right. That's that's a big part of it. But also, like, there's the hint that he's just like you know keep your keep your enemies close. Like that's right. Right. Something he's doing very well. Right. Yeah. And again, like the but, the height of this movie to me is when they're destroying the Chimera um, sequence in like the bio biochemical lab or whatever. It's so much fun. And like the convenience that these movies tend to work out with the, you know, we're going to have to be radio silent for eight minutes. He's on his own. And that's exactly when the villains are going to show up. And they're not only going to be there, but they're going to have the love interest. Um, and it, that sequence where she injects herself, like, you know, it's coming. It's not a right. surprise, right. but it is exactly what you want to happen. And it is so much fun to watch go down. 
Yeah, I kind of feel like that se- sequence is when the movie gets good again, uh, after like the Porsche sequence uh, in the beginning of the movie, and it's like the, <laughs> yeah. everything in between like those said, two. They points. get to Australia and everything's boring up until. <laughs> It's got like a solid first 30 minutes and a solid last 30 yeah. minutes. I'm, well, I, I've got a lot of shitty things to say about the last 30 minutes as well, but at least exciting yeah, stuff is objectively yeah. happening. Exactly. And it, and it does make that finger cutting thing pay off in the last sequence, which I think was really smart right. too. Yeah, that um, worked great. But yeah, but the middle of the movie, I just can't, I just don't like. <laughs> I also, I mean, I, again, like that ending of this movie, like I really love how this movie never feels smarter than you. Like, you know what's happening. There's not really it surprise. Sure, well, yeah, sure it does it. I was going to say like, the same You don't thing. need to see the Tom Cruise mask come off and see Doug Ray Scott fumed. We understand that. Yeah. But we saw it anyway. Like, the movie is... But we want it to happen. Like, the joy isn't being surprised because, like, you know... I didn't want that to happen. Again, I think that was a stronger one just on Tom Cruise's face. No, it's it's that Hitchcock thing of, like, you show the bomb under the table. Like, you don't want to trick your audience. You want them to be excited about what's coming next. And, like, you want to be excited about these reveals. And this movie does that in a very fun way to me. Like, everything pays off. And it's just so much fun to watch the dominoes fall. It's it's such a good time. All right, so when action does finally start happening right. in this movie, well, no, sorry, not finally, but, like, when it just becomes 20 to 30 minutes of basically uninterrupted action from the moment he repeats the wire work from the first movie to, to get into the pharmaceutical company until the hand-to-hand fights in the sand. Uh, oh, man. Much of that action the hand, works the hand, for the, you. The, 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 the sand fight, it's... It's so much fun. The choreography and like the way he just like kicks. Or we could start at the end. <laughs> well, I mean, <laughs> sure, <Go backwards>. whatever. <laughs> oh man. Like, no, uh, all right. Memento style recap the third day. I, I pretty much think the end of this movie is great and a lot of fun. And like, you know, I would probably just watch that. Just like from when he like breaks into the facility to like, you know, rescue to save the day, basically. Like that's what I would watch. Everything else. I'll take it or leave it. But the ending is pretty fun. Motorcycles, motorcycle battling, uh, sand fight. Oh, it's all great. The, the switcheroo, which, uh, I think one of you guys should describe is so yeah. great. That's a great moment. Uh, I hate it so much. <laughs> why do you, why do you hate the switcheroo moment? Well, the switcheroo moment, we're talking about the double masking, right? Yes. Yeah, where he masks the guy. Yeah, the double masking, right? I just think, like, just none of the timing of it works out, and, like, he had to have his own mask and a perfect version of his mask, and he just had to have all of that no, ahead of time. The logic's not important. For the He's a super spy. But, no, it is, because, like, <laughs> if I don't buy it as soon as it happens and I think it's dumb, then it's important. Well, this movie doesn't follow much logic, so it's like, at this point, it's like, whatever, yeah, it's fine. pretty much everything follows <laughs> more logic than that i just think it's the dubbest fucking part of the movie it kind of breaks my heart to hear you like hold it up oh man i think it's great he he comes in prepared and like you know as soon as that guy's not talking you know exactly what's going on because again he's not they're not pulling one over on you you're just like oh man they switched faces and the dude doesn't know He's just going to grab the things and run. This is going to be great. It bothers me when off-screen time doesn't add up in movies because there's always a way to write it where it does. It's like he goes out and they have that fight and it's kind of implied that it's been like 10, 15 seconds from that explosion and he walks back in. It's like, no, you didn't duct tape his mouth, 
put on both masks perfectly, apply like that vocal thing. You're, and this you're also forgetting how later fast on. that this man can like first of all dive to a, drive through a grate and cut a cord without being seen. And like I'm saying, there's 80- some way to make it like happen a couple minutes. By, and this also happens near the end where they've got like he's the got, emotional. He's moment, got slow the internet. The They're trying to upload it. Sequence. None of the timing totally works. Yeah, flawless. I don't think it necessarily it has to be 15 seconds. And I would love to continue to tell you why. <laughs> <laughs> I think it could be like time had passed like you know could have been five minutes could have been ten minutes you know like whatever i'm just saying ethan hunt only needs 30 seconds what about later where all the bad guys are literally around the corner but the movie takes like two or three minutes to have like that tearful moments where tandy newton basically tells tells tom cruise that you have to kill me and then he does the awesome explode and jump out the building like yes that's great but <laughs> are those guys just waiting there for two minutes like write some sort of hindrance in where they have to get around like yeah no you're not the audience, saying, i mean the movie doesn't respect the you're audience. not wrong i'm just gonna say that you're not wrong <laughs> but to me it's like i'm so we could start a conversation from it's that. like you're forgetting that john woo's directing this movie yeah it's like this movie has made so many other like insane choices and things that didn't make any sense and that, you know, didn't work. And it's like, I will, if this is entertaining, I'm going to buy it because I'm at least I'm entertained by it. You know, what Ulrich's saying is if that the movie earns it. If it takes me up that much, it's not entertaining to me. I, I don't think, <laughs> I don't think, I'm, 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 I, don't think... I am surprised that I am in the minority. I found most of the action in this third act to be really boring. Most of the sequences <laughs> just go a little too long. I think the over-the-top kung fu stuff is just really fucking silly, and it's jarring. It's so jarring to watch these two movies back-to-back, because Ethan Hunt doesn't fire a single bullet in the first movie. Yeah. Right. No. He doesn't shoot it's again, one gun. like an improvement and then the all second of a sudden movie makes. He is jumping <laughs> through the air whilst firing two guns. Yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yep, yep, yep. And wearing a leather jacket. And then he they proceed to jump motorcycles at each other. The motorcycles explode this in I midair <laughs> and then this they hug love. off a cliff <laughs> and uh <laughs> you hug off a cliff proceed to beat the shit out of each other for yeah. a good amount of time it's like if i can accept that i can pretty much accept anything <laughs> well like I, I don't know okay so maybe some of it's me maybe i'm willing to think that quite possibly some of this might fall on me i think sage uh, that you just don't understand everything magic. explodes in this third <laughs> Act, you don't get to talk to me about movies. <laughs> Everything just starts exploding. Things that should not explode do, and I'm mostly okay with it. You know, he shoots the gas tank in that 90s trope that explodes. Uh, yes. I wish I could remember. I wrote down somewhere. I hand wrote it down. Just I started writing down things that exploded that surprised me. One of the small concessions I'll give is the fact that Ethan Hunt's motorcycle gets shot and is leaking gas but doesn't explode is pretty silly right after he blows up a car by shooting it in the gas tank. Well, they they do both explode, like, seconds later. Right. <laughs> like, the, they collide and explode. But even, like, as he first escapes the facility, he turns around and there are just, like, 80 barrels of what is labeled hazardous waste. And hazardous <laughs> waste is not something that's automatically going to explode when you shoot it. Yeah. But, you know, it might, and hey, it might in as this well situation, it does. Yeah. yeah. No, I, the hazardous waste exploding is like, what is going on? <laughs> what video game yeah, thing is happening right now? try a little bit harder, yeah. <laughs> and again, things you could fix. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, well, he could have shot him, but where's the fun in that? Like, you know, clearly the man's a good shot. And No, I'm saying, like, you have it be something that does explode. Like, I don't know. 
it's a bunch of scuba takes. They're on an island. <laughs> Fuck it. <laughs> That was just my first. It pitch. doesn't, it, you know, but like, why? It doesn't bother anybody. It's absolutely fine. It, no one, no one is bothered. By it. it totally <laughs> it works. It bothers me. It's just like I'm so. Don't I'm, you bow I'm me. so checked out at that moment with like the reality of this movie that it, it can be anything. It's like you could have shot like you know a pile of rubber duckies and it all exploded. I'll be like, Again, whatever. Yeah, John fine. John Woo just earns. Uh, in so this movie. Ulrich's and I have switched places. <laughs> Crazy. <laughs> I'm not saying it's good, Sage. I'm just saying that we're just getting on with the action here. Let's see let's see some motorcycle kung fu. So much fun. Yeah. <laughs> I read that uh Tom Cruise was singing the praises of Bruce Lee to John Woo, and that is why that last hand to hand fight kind of feels the way it does. I'm not gonna go so far as to say that it feels like a Bruce Lee action sequence. I will say that it feels like it is trying to be a Bruce Lee action sequence. Yeah. But it feels like a John Woo action sequence. Like the co- the combat, like it is you know Tom Cruise is not Bruce Lee, but he kind of it he sells the body weight and like that scene is very visceral. Like the the fist fight, you know I've seen better, but like it works. The the use of like the rocks, <laughs> although when he does the final blow to the back of the head before he again gets up and gets a gun. Uh, there are some conveniently placed rocks, but like, you know, the way that the, the tides turn in, in that final scene is the villain grabs a rock and bashes Ethan Hunt in the face with it several times. And then like, he has to do like, there's a bunch of like good kicks from this movie. I was watching a Ben Stiller parody of, uh, of mission impossible Two called mission improbable. Um, and Ben Stiller's complaining about the amount of kicking. He's Ben Stiller's playing Tom Cruise's stunt double. And he's like, why don't you just call it kicking impossible then? Jesus. <laughs> There's one stunt that will always stick in my mind. So all the doves fly around and he runs towards the henchman and he does a backflip kick. But the first kick knocks the gun out of his hand and the second kick like knocks him out by hitting him in the head and then he flips there's, and keeps running. Yeah, there's some good like he does the front flip like landing with his heel on dude's chests. He drops it's, from it's ceilings like splinter cell and like just <laughs> twists the guy's neck which doesn't yeah. kill him. He has to still has to punch him a couple more times. Right. Uh, <laughs> is is great. Man. Yeah, Anthony Hopkins shows up to get another paycheck and then the movie's over. <laughs> I'm, and Tandy Newton doesn't come back for three for some reason. Apparently, she just didn't want to. Uh, I thought, yeah. So I don't remember three at all. I assumed. I think her character gets killed one. off at some point. Um, maybe it's off screen. I thought it was in three, but no, she's just not in she's, the franchise yeah, I think anymore. She's just gone. That happens to a lot of characters. Yeah, she just did some family franchise. stuff, and then she's uh, in Westworld. By the way, she does not look a day over however old she is in Westworld yeah. in this movie. It's crazy. It is pretty nuts. This is like yeah. a this, million this movie's years ago. twenty years old. <laughs> yeah, it's really yeah. old. It's crazy. And now Ving Rhames has aged fifty years, while Tom Cruise has aged seven. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> or or not even like six. <laughs> All right. So did we did we ever do a full ranking of the franchise? Do you guys have that ready? I don't want to put you on the spot if not. Gavin, who does not remember the third movie, <laughs> I I do not. I know Ulrich has his ready. All right. Well, Gavin, take a seat. If we're talking about the whole Mission Impossible franchise, my order is uh, five, four, one, six, three, two. I think I got that right. 
Uh, yeah. So that, so, and not to say that I mm-hmm. really don't like three. I think four, uh, one and, and six are all like really, really close. Uh, and like, you know, three could get in that mix at some point in, in the future, but I definitely feel like, yeah, five is definitely my favorite. Just so, such a great action movie, and especially for being how long it is. And I'm yeah, never bored well, in I that movie. I wanted to expand on that really fast. Incredible. I think bringing a Macquarie onto the franchise is such a good idea, especially after he kind of wrote four out of a hole and like, he just collaborates with Tom Cruise so well. Yeah. Shout out to Jack Reacher. One of my favorite, just underappreciated movies. Uh, my ranking yeah, is okay. going to be Silly, fun movie. three, five, six, four, one, two. All right, cool. So now that you two have spoken, here's my rating system. Uh, I'm going to go. Okay. 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 <laughs> and I have to admit that m- many of these movies are closer in rating than I usually like. It's, it's a more solid series than I remembered, even upon just revisiting the first two. Um, I'm going to go. It's a toss up between four and two. Uh, but like, I'm going to, I'm just for, for the, for the sake of, for the sake of argument, like, I'm just going to give two <laughs> oh the top God. spot. Uh, it's going to go two, four, <laughs> um, oh, one, oh, God. three, five, six. That being said, I, the only one, the only one I, I actually you remember really, really sir, besides the first us. two is, uh, <laughs> six and maybe a little bit of four. I remember four being great. I remember, s- you I remember, remember six, six being and you put it at the boring, kind of, especially because it was like that is the movie where Henry Cavill cocks his arms before he fights, and you're calling it boring. I mean, he there's like a twenty minute helicopter <laughs> fight. Six is so exciting. Six, like especially yeah. like man, the choice of like the fact that they actually did like Halo jumping and managed to make it boring blows my mind. What are what? you talking yeah, about? What are you talking about? It scene looks terrible. Uh, what? Henry Cavill is a lot of fun. I, I props to him. He's such a blast. And Angela Bassett. I don't know who that is. Is that? Is that? Is that? <laughs> you don't know who Angela Bassett is? Oh man, she plays well, like the new uh, like head of the. She's like CIA the head of the CIA or... who yeah. ends up. There is a scene in that movie that has like five, maybe six double crosses in a I row. Know. That movie is so exciting. It's crazy. Even... Okay. Oh. But I mean, it it does get a little like you know out of control with those double crosses, um, and it's just like. I could have used three to seven more double crosses. Of oh, really? I remember also a lot of pathos where it's like, you know, you're alive, but I've moved on. I'm married to a nice doctor now who may or may not. so good. My favorite moment in this entire franchise legitimately is just the small sequence between Michelle Monaghan and Tom Cruise when they randomly run into each other in cashmere and everyone knows what the stakes are, but no one knows why. Right. Just the way that the boyfriend comes out, the husband comes out, and he doesn't know who Tom Cruise is, but he kind of does. Well, he's uh, just like, where he did like a whole six-hour podcast series with Empire just talking about these his movies. I highly recommend it. He just knows that there's a hole in his wife's life, and this is what it is. And he's yeah. not worried about her, but just the way that Tom Cruise, like, he just... 
He embraces her closely, says, I'm so sorry, and then runs at full Tom Cruise speed. That is my favorite moment <laughs> of the whole franchise. It, it's pretty great, because, like, you know, her face is saying, like, she, she sees him there, so she knows immediately that the worst thing in the world is about to happen, and it's going to happen right where we are. And, like, it's, that's, like, her takeaway, and it's, like, pretty, pretty great, you know? Y- you want to um, talk about, like, having faith in the audience. That is a scene where there is so much unsaid, and it's, but we, it, but, but it's we all get there. It. It's all, we get it's it. also, like, in terms of, like, the black and white, like, having a villain just be a villain is super fun, but, like, having, maybe it's the cynical part of me, but just, like, there's no people on this planet who are better than her and her boyfriend being just like the humanitarian angels wherever they are saving the world in a way that's more realistic than like, we've already got Tom Cruise saving the world. I don't need humanitarian people in this movie. Come on. Get out well, of here. But that. it was a, it was a great way to get them there in a way that yeah. they were manipulated to be there, you know, to like fuck with him basically. Yeah. It all which works I thought really great. well. Yeah. yeah, it doesn't just add to the stakes. It's also just an extra fuck you from the villain to Ethan Hunt. Yeah, and who doesn't want to see Superman fight Ethan Hunt? I want to see that <laughs> all the time. Again, yeah. like you know, I, I'm, 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 I'm definitely being a little bit of a, 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 a making fun of it. They're all pretty good movies. The sixth one just got like so lauded even before I saw it that I was just kind of like, I was expecting something more than a Mission Impossible movie. And the sixth uh, one is just a Mission Impossible movie. Well, Whereas, yeah. like, the first movie and the second movie both ooze style that the sixth movie does not have. What? They just, like, take what is the core of Mission Impossible and, like, do something, like, wacky and crazy with it that is just so entertaining that, like... It, right. it, How can you say that when there's not a core of Mission Impossible yet in this franchise? Well, exactly. That's what I'm saying. Two. Like, by the sixth movie, it feels a little rote. Like... They've accepted well, what they are, and they're just doing the sixth movie. It's Those kind are the of the movies same. I want to see. Like, I'm so much more excited for a new Mission Impossible movie than a new Fast and Furious movie, which is something I'm also very excited. I about. Dis- disagree. <laughs> like the sixth, like the the Fast and the Furious movie has that John Woo energy that, like, you know, the Mission Impossible movies well, just lost. I don't know about all that. <laughs> I feel like. Like, basically, the Mission Impossible movies kind of have the same thing that happens with the uh, Avengers movies and the Marvel movies, where they become this thing, and they have their own, like, style and brand, and it's very much, this is the Mission Impossible style, this is the Mission Impossible brand, and it's not really about the filmmaker perspective anymore, right. which it was, like, yeah. in the earlier no, movies, I agree. you know, even as early as 4 with Brad Bird, who kind of, right. like, Right, well, they figured it out, and now they just have McQuarrie doing it, and also... Like, right. every director except for John Woo was invited back to do a sequel. It wasn't always <laughs> intended to be individual episodes. This is 100% true. That's funny. Like, they wanted De Palma to do the second one. They wanted J.J. Right. J. Abrams to do the fourth one. I'm, I'm not saying it's a bad thing, though, that it's, like, developed this style. It's just, I can see where you're coming from, Gavin, where it doesn't have, like, you know, this individuality that the others, some of the others have. Thank you. You know? But I would say the same thing is true of the Fast and Furious movies, <laughs> where since Justin right. Lin left, they've kind of become, it's like, it's a Fast and Furious thing. And, you know, either they're good or they're bad, but like, they're right. its own thing. And to me, you know? like, yeah, what... even when they're not Justin Lin movies, they're, I mean, the James Wan one feels pretty unique to him. But I think Justin Lin is even coming back and doing the last one. Yeah. And like, I don't, I don't care. That doesn't feel necessary. <laughs> I hope it's better than the, than eight. That's all I'm saying. To me, it's just like what it. they've become is, <laughs> is so magical and fun uh it's almost like a reverse 
Mission Impossible the way that like it started out as a very like clean cut point break ripoff and what it has become is something much more um a clean cut Mission Impossible ripoff a, like an, a much more original <laughs> feeling uh series whereas like the Mission yeah. Impossible movies like were in a genre I don't know if they really ever broke out of like what the genre was like they they borrow from other movies pretty liberally like the masks are i guess what came from the original series but like what they're doing is being kind of james bond movies yeah they're james bond alternatives that now have like just bigger stunts i mean yeah yeah yeah, well this is what a a james bond movie would be like if it was tom cruise (laughs) and they didn't bother with women and they didn't didn't pay for the rights yeah and he's less British. And that's fine. <laughs> right. Whereas or not British Fast and Furious somehow <laughs> a made little the more transition team oriented from... than I guess Bond tends to be. Like he just checks in at the beginning. He's like, "What's up, Q? How you doing? You got a new watch for me? All right, let's roll." Yeah, I don't. That's my that's my James Bond impression. <laughs> <laughs> it was it was spotless. All right, let's 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 rate these on our scale. Let's go there. Let's just do both of them. Uh, I think we should. I mean, each... technically, we both did it. <laughs> well, no, I mean, on our scale of uh, is this oh, okay, is yeah. this better as a memory? Is this still our good? Is this something we should bury in the ground and never speak of again? Auric, would you like the honors of going first? Okay, I guess so. Uh, Mission Possible One. This is still good for sure. Uh, I recommend if you haven't seen it to watch it again. If you saw it when you're younger and haven't seen it in years, watch it again. You will appreciate it, and you will have a good time. Uh, number two, oh, gosh, better as a memory or bury it? I'm trying to, see, I don't know. I don't want to bury it because I think there are <laughs> some fun things that you you can get out of this movie, but I definitely think it's better than a memory, better as a memory uh, than, yeah, don't go, don't, don't go out and watch this. All right, want to. okay. I'll, I'll go second. I'm going to say both these movies are still good. The first one is better than I remembered it being. Um, it, it, like, both of them have been, it's been so long since I've seen either of them that they both just had so much more than I expected. Um, and they're both just super fun in their own ways. And yeah, I, I recommend both of them as, uh, reviewing. All right. I'm, so the first Mission Impossible I'm going to give, uh, still good, but with a big old asterisk after it. <laughs> uh, because, I mean, it is still good, but for a lot of people, it's going to be better as a memory uh so many people came to this movie after seeing three four five or six like i would bet more people have seen mission impossible as not their entry into the franchise and this movie's not it's not over complicated which is what a lot of reviews said and a lot of popular reaction to it but it is more complicated than you expect a mission impossible movie to be so i just i have to put that on the table but that last that last action sequence is so banging, and the rest of it's like <laughs> mid tier De Palma, like I don't know, it's it's a good movie in its own right, and I don't know where it stands as a Mission Impossible movie at this point. But I'm gonna give it a still good, and for the second one, you know, for the first thirty minutes of Mission Impossible two, I was pretty certain I was gonna like it more than Mission Impossible. And then they went to Australia, and then I stopped caring, and then it got, like, really Matrix-y in a fun way that is better as a memory. I thought you were going to say bury it, Sage. One, I, it's one bad, of the there's, said bury there's it. still enough. I expected you yeah. to. Yeah. 
Yeah, there's still enough though. There's enough in it that you like. I will still rewatch it every once in a while just because I want to see some sequences from it. Which, you know, maybe I'll fast forward the rest of the movie, but I'll watch those sequences. <laughs> I didn't realize that I have never seen two all the way through. Wow! Uh, I figured I just forgot what happened in the middle of the movie. You probably but forgot because this was a movie that was on cable so much, and I'm like very aware of the opening. I didn't remember the plane stuff at all, but I remembered the 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 rock climbing and the uh, the car flirting. Yeah, and I remember the entire uh, pharmaceutical uh, attack. the The rock climbing is something that is has become, I would argue, one of the more iconic moments in the Mission Impossible franchise. Like, it's very silly, but like when I think of Ethan Hunt, that is the intro I think of when it comes to Ethan Hunt. That's the most iconic part of this movie, I will say. The motorcycle chase is a close second, but yeah, yeah, yeah. also five has a better motorcycle chase, so I can't give it to uh, two. Yeah, five's motorcycle chase is like fucking good, dude. So good. There's like a 20 minute sequence in five that uh, does it start off as a, as a car chase and turn into a motorcycle chase, and they're yeah, both equally as long yeah, as it like, the other way around. No, and it's, it's better than any action sequence in these first two movies. Yeah, it's like, it starts with the whole tank thing, and then, like, after he's out of the tank and, like, recovering is when the motor, the, the car chase starts, and then it turns into the motorcycle chase. And there's not a better chase sequence I can think of. It's so, so well done. And I, mean, I like it in 4 where they have the car chase in the uh, sandstorm. Oh, but that's fun, too. I just have such good things to say about every action sequence <laughs> in 3 through 6. One question I have is, like, so I'm sure it's cleared up, but, like, is the IMF paid for with our tax dollars? Yes. <laughs> it's Is it? Yeah, because there's, like, all sorts of oversight notes, and it becomes a plot point in later movies. Right. Okay. Yeah. It's it's it's, <laughs> it's in, secret. It's interesting, like, yeah, because, and this is, these were both, one thing I kind of expected to feel more, which I actually don't, and again, I need to revisit the other movies, I don't remember them that well. But, like, both of these were pre-9-11 films. And, like, I do think, like, just right. the way that, like, we handled um, patriotism and government changed after 9-11. Does, do you guys feel that change in the, in the series? Or is that le- – I don't remember it being that big of a change. I don't think so, honestly. Maybe, maybe I'm missing something, but I don't feel like a huge change from the first two. The third movie also came out in 2006, so there's enough of a gap there that, like, you know, the yeah. world's changed, but you don't have, like, a reactionary message to 9-11 in Mission Impossible 3, a movie that was always about stopping terrorism anyway, so it's not suddenly about stopping terrorism as what happened to some other franchises. <laughs> yeah. All right, cool. Yeah, I was just, I was curious about that. All right, well, I mean, it's kind of weird. I don't feel like a... Uh... <laughs> We could pitch something, but are you saying the reboot section is very strange? I, in a yeah, it feels Impossible? feels weird because like one I'm, versus two. I like we're getting another one, right? Like the sequence, the series is not over. Yeah, it got delayed, oh, yeah. but they're shooting seven and eight back to back, and it's <laughs> the same team as it should be. Ooh, I like, can't. I'm wait. not mad about that yeah, at all. Wait. Well, they also That's have to because, like, as immortal as Tom Cruise seems, like he's going to be sixty by the time this movie comes out. Well, at at some point he can't do these anymore. I don't know when that is, but it's gonna. It's eventually he's gonna. Yeah, have I to feel. Stop. I'm always surprised when I hear of an injury on set because I always figure every injury is going to be the last injury, and then he just has to be like a serious actor. 
<laughs> right. Like everyone just hits a point. Liam Neeson had a had a strange action star run in his like mid fifties to mid sixties, and I'm fairly yeah. certain like he's like he can still like grunt and shoot people, but he's not hopping fences. He's not running like Tom Cruise can run, that's for sure. No, Tom Cruise can <laughs> still run. It's crazy. So, so, so the last thing I wanted to ask you guys, do you have an honorable mention sequence from any of the six movies you guys want to mention? Like one that we haven't talked about yet that you just think is like so incredible it has to be mentioned? Yes. I think, I think the running sequence from three is the definitive Tom Cruise runs from any movie. On the, on the bridge? In, yeah. Well, no, no, yeah. not on the bridge. That's also good. And like the way that that impact hits and he just goes flying across it. It's yeah. when he's running through, where does that finale take place? Is it Shanghai or Hong Kong? Um, I don't but, know. <laughs> but like there's just a long tracking shot. It's probably like 40, it just has him run along the river. Um, across some bridges, which is why I got confused, and like through all of the crowd of people and kind of like an unbroken tracking shot. Uh, it's, it's, I mean, I'm just going to say it again. It's kinetic. Uh, what about you, Gavin? Um, the way that like the big parkour sequence, uh, which like I, I'm not entirely sure what happens. Uh, again, geography is not my strong suit, but at the beginning of Casino Royale, where he's like chasing the guy um near the embassy and like they just run across <laughs> that that um crane yeah. is it, is amazing yeah that's that's probably my that's favorite that's not from mission impossible it's from james bond <laughs> a movie that i've remembered better than any of <laughs> I mean, that's any of the mission after too. Uh, <laughs> and that came out like the same summer as mission impossible 3 and those are both uh, so there's a weird thing that happened. Like my senior year of high school, I want to say somewhere from junior to freshman year of college, uh, Mission Impossible three came out, Casino Royale came out, and the fourth Fast and Furious movie came out. Those... And those are my favorite of all those franchises. And as much as I will defend three, I am the only one who thinks Fast and Furious four is the best Fast and Furious movie. I acknowledge that. Well, it's a, <laughs> I like it that one. I'm a fan of four. I think it's simple. I think it's got like some strong just spy stuff right from the beginning. That's just he, Paul Walker tackles someone out of a window and it drops into like a trash can. And it's just, oh, this can be that movie too. Cause that did not happen yeah. in any of the three earlier movies. So I still haven't seen the third movie, but like I do remember four and five. Like that is may, may shock the audience after me expounding my love for uh, Mission Impossible 2, and I'm just going to name drop Batman, Batman and Robin again, R.I.P. Joel Schumacher, <laughs> as of recent. It happened. He did it. Yeah. Fast and, Fast and the Furious 2 was a movie I taped off stars. It is probably the movie I have seen most out of the Fast and the Furious movies. It's it too is, Fast, Too Furious. Right. I'm, I am so sorry. <laughs> some speck on its name. Uh, it is the worst of that franchise. Uh, what? Oh, yeah. No, it's not. Oh, it, it, I like it two. is. It, no. It's it, you guys. Are all <laughs> two, no, I mean two this is, is really underrated. I feel like uh, this is universal. That's what everyone says. But it's not. What it's, movie do you think is worse than Too Fast, Too Furious of the in the franchise? Uh, eight. Um, that's that's hogwash. <laughs> and maybe even that is malarkey. Eight and f- four, maybe. I guess. Damn, after Sage, yeah. Ford is hard out. I know. I like four though, but uh, Fast and but Furious I like two. is twice the Fast and Furious that Too Fast to Furious. Is. 
But 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 the thing about Too Fast Too Furious is it doesn't rely on Vin Diesel to to you know give you entertainment. It's right. Scott There's Paul no Walker family. Tyrese. Yeah, well, you don't need family in that movie. You got Tyrese and you. Oh, got how dare you say you don't need family when referring to <laughs> any of the Fast and the Furious movies? Because I look at that movie, it's like an eighties awesome. action movie. It's the movie. two it's... worst members of the Fast and Furious cast. They don't hold but... the movie. And they have a really fun villain who's like very mustached, mustache twirling, but in the kind of the best way possible. And the stunts and racing in that movie is just as good as all the other ones, you know. So and Ludacris is barely in that the... movie. Yeah, well, Ludacris and and the amount he's in it is good enough. <laughs> I mean, we could switch that, but you just gotta watch Tyrese the whole time, and he's he's the worst. I part like of those movies. I like Tyrese. Tyrese is fun. I like Tyrese too. And again, like, I have I have watched that movie a lot, and just like what, how you gonna bring the Hulk? Come on, Tyrese, do better. <laughs> just like how right. I referred to like the Mission Impossible movies, all pretty good. Uh, Fast and Furious movies, all very good. Like, yeah. I feel the same way about them too. I mean, I I, I pretty much like them all, you know. Um, oh, right. That's one of my favorite franchises. Has Has Tyrese ever said the line, "Uh, guys, they got a tank"? Uh, the yeah. answer's no. I think so. that no, was ludicrous. Oh, okay. Boy, it's a good line. I was like, yeah, I think I think so, but maybe I'm just remembering <laughs> from that movie. <laughs> All right, thirty second um, recap of all Fast and Furious movies. Go. No, no, oh, no, God. no, not oh, now. God. We will, we'll we will, we'll we will we'll... revisit them at a later date. So yeah. even even though Tom even though Tom Cruise was really the driving force between like getting Mission Impossible made, there uh, there were earlier attempts by Paramount. So there's like a whole list of actors that could have been Ethan Hunt, and I'm hoping to get to it here because it's pretty crazy. I know Nicolas Cage was on that list. There oh, could have really? been a Mission wow. Impossible franchise. Wow. With a, a 1996 Mission Impossible. Oh man, Nick Cage that movie. would be insane. Well, I, I would just add that if anyone isn't sure they want to watch uh, Mission Impossible 2 after listening to this podcast, that you should just go watch Face Off if you haven't seen that, and you'll have more fun. I'm probably going to go watch Face Off right after this. Is really I, fun. I, I honestly, or Mission Impossible 3. I can't argue too much with that. I think they're both great. <laughs> Face Off is probably a little easier to watch through just because it's maybe a little... Uh, it's a little Crazier. shorter and faster. It's a great I'm movie. Assuming. They take his face, but they're both <laughs> delightful. They make a great double feature. Do yourselves a favor. Oh. There you go. <laughs> oh, and if you want to talk John Wood movies, uh, Hard Target is another uh, one of my favorites that you just gotta see if you haven't seen it. One I haven't seen. Like I know Hard Boiled. Hard Boiled's oh. a delight. Uh, all right, Jens. Right. We've talked for two hours. We did it. We are just say? under two hours. <laughs> no, so I think, I think, think we've successful. made it. We All talked right. about two okay. movies, fixed both Mission Impossible movies, and uh, we're going to get a Woo Cut of Mission Impossible 2. So, Hashtag oh release the Woo Cut. Yes, All right. dozens of <laughs> listeners make this happen. It's a movement. All, all 12 of you. It's a movement. Jerome, I expect you to personally <laughs> write John Woo every day. All right. not all already right. doing that. Do you want to cast our dozens of listeners? Uh to, on places to find you. Oh, yeah. Uh, you can go to allrickbrussell.com to check out some of my work. The ter- site, website is terrible, uh, but the stuff is there. Uh, you can also check out my podcast, Making Movies is Hard, at makingmoviesishard.com. And it's on iTunes, Spotify, YouTube, all the places. Uh, if you like, uh, you know, want to hear about movie stuff, um, and more like how to make movies and less about what we think of movies, 
that's uh you can go there and uh yeah i'm on twitter and facebook and instagram at allwork b and yeah reach out if you want to tell me how wrong i am about mission Impossible. <laughs> or if you want to reach out about how wrong he is about making movies <laughs> Yeah, that too. It's so easy. <laughs> I got Ulrich, it all wrong. About? <laughs> I know. I got it backwards. <laughs> yeah, you just do it hard. Yeah, I was doing it the wrong way. <laughs> you can find me at Gavin V. Murray on most things. Uh, yeah. And you can find Sage places. Like uh, Apparently his name's very Googleable. That's what uh, I was going to say. Yeah. If I get work, I'll plug it. <laughs> I'm still just living that, that quarantine life. Oh yeah! By the yeah. time this comes out, bring me an avocado. Will uh, be on Amazon oh. Prime. Oh, no. uh, still watch Last I'm going to I think it's going to be free on. Well, edit this Ooh, out if I really? edit this out if I'm wrong, but like I think oh, it's included man. with your Amazon Prime subscription. Is it really? Well, then I don't even have to pay anything. Holy moly! Uh, but you can find my Venmo uh, for all that <laughs> money you're saving. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Send it to you and Maria, right? <laughs> yep, yep. Well, thank all you right. so much for joining us on this ride. Uh, this, you know, tandem motorcycle jumping off things oh, and exploding yeah. in midair. No, my pleasure. Thanks for having me back, guys. Anytime. And fade out. Fast and Furious is twice the Fast and Furious that Too Fast to Furious is.